And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by my co-host Matt Fortuna today. Special guest, um, you remember him from Notre Dame's last national championship team. And if you're more recent to the show, you might remember him from the NBC broadcast before Marshall. Um, not the not the first bald guest we've had on the show, uh, but the first one that's worn a killed on national television, Chris Zorich. Uh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that, Dennis. How... Uh, I, before we get into Notre Dame football, the important stuff, I, I need to know how you made the the kilt fashion choice. How what it, how did the inspiration strike you that this is what I need to wear on NBC? So I, I was approached by NBC a couple days before the game, and they wanted to see if I wanted to participate in their first kind of dual alumni um, venture with a representative from their name and then a representative from the other school. And, and I think it's a great idea. Um, and so as we're in the production meetings, we're kind of going over film and, and video and everything. And it's talking about kind of creating excitement and, you know, you're going to be about the student section and, you know, if you can come up with, with anything, that'd be great. And so I, I went home thinking, how can I kind of be different? And how can I kind of show my, my allegiance to my, my favorite team? And surprisingly enough, I have a buddy, Jerry, um, candidate, who actually is my kilt mentor and fellow brother. Um, he happened to have several kilts with him. And I was like, oh, my God, I, if I were that, that would be just – it's either going to be an epic fail or people are going to love it. And I was like, you know what? I'm 53. Let's go ahead and take the risk. So I, he put it on me properly. He, he gave me all the accoutrements that I needed and I rocked it, and, and, I, and I loved it. The fans loved it. NBC just went nuts or giving me a high five as soon as I walked in, so everybody loved it. What, what did Ahmad Bradshaw say, and, and are you guys still talking after that game a couple weeks ago? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, when, when the first time he saw me, he just started laughing, and uh, we are kind of kidding back and forth. And, you know, it was so interesting to kind of see the game from his perspective as well, right? I mean, you know, he was obviously commentating – on the success of some of their failures, but kind of seeing him as a fan as well, kind of walking into that situation. Um, obviously, they were considered to be the, the the underdog and wound up taking the game from Notre Dame. And so kind of seeing him kind of go through those emotions of, you know, hey, we're just here to have fun. This is my first time at Notre Dame. This is a, a great legendary place. Then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we are kicking your ass. This is going to be good. You know, so and then never mind the fact they were paid over a million dollars to, to whip us. So it, uh, yeah, a, a difficult uh, contract for Notre Dame to eat on that one. Um, <laughs> so, Chris, I came on your show with Tim Priester, one of my colleagues, and around the time Marcus got hired, and we, we sort of talked about expectations and, you know, what, how are things going to be different? What's sort of the transition like from Brian Kelly? And I, I think that we all sort of 
assume there would be a learning curve for a first-time head coach at Notre Dame. I think it'd be fair to say it's been steeper than we, what we would have thought. But as, So I'm curious from your point of view as a former player here, uh, still connected around here, came to Marcus's introductory press conference in December. I mean, just from a, a big-picture point of view, what do you make of his first three games of this season um, in concert with his first offseason here when it felt like he was doing everything right? Sure. It's interesting because, Pete, I don't know if you remember from from that time, um, I talked about how I didn't think he was going to be named the the actual head coach at Notre Dame. Um, I host a a podcast where we go over the top 16 uh, teams in the country. It's called the Super 16 Pulse Show with Chris Zorich, and we're actually on air live when Brian left. And so my producer's like, dude, you're not going to believe this. Brian Kelly just left. And I was like, no way, no. So we're kind of going back and forth. Then he popped the question. He's like, well, who do you think should get it? You love Marcus. What do you think? And I was like, well, he's not ready yet. He's he's only been the, the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame for like nine months at that point or something like that. And, and so the idea was that I thought, you know, we would look for something more kind of senior, um, someone that, that, that has the years on them. And uh, interestingly enough, I mean, I, I felt that way for a long time. However, you know, Marcus was named the the person. And as I got to kind of see him in that position or find out kind of what that process was, I was kind of 100% Marcus. So that being said, um, his first three games, I think, are, are kind of uh, what we expected. Um, I mean, everybody hopes he's going to go undefeated. But the reality is that we are, we are playing – in an environment where you get some really good teams out there. And I felt so bad for him because the pressure and, you know, just, it was just the, the, the scheduling gods uh, made it happen that, you know, Brian's going to leave and then, Oh gee, your first game is against your former team that you were a GA for that blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, that day you met your wife. I mean, this is literally, it would be the equivalent of me kind of going, being a coach, going and playing Notre Dame for my first game, right? It would just be kind of a hard experience. So I felt bad that he had to play his first game technically as a head coach against his alma mater. And and, and then you got to think about it. Hey, we have a new coach. We have a new quarterback. We have a new running back, kind of a questionable offensive line, a questionable defensive line. And, oh, by the way, you have to go up against a Heisman candidate. Uh, you have to go up against an All-American receiver. And you, you can just kind of list them. So the the expectations for the first game, I was very excited for. Um, you you mentioned kind of three games overall. Second game against Marshall, I was not, not impressed, very upset. And I think – and it's just my opinion. I haven't talked to anybody within the, the organization. But I think the level of expectation – for the coaches, because they are new coaches as well. I mean, this is Notre Dame. And I think the understanding of kind of what they need to do to prepare is a lot different from any place they, they've been, right? So, and, and, and I think Marcus was guilty of this as well, because I, I think the, psychologically, they came away from Michigan feeling good. Excuse me, they came away from Ohio State feeling good, right? They didn't get dominated. They actually were leading in the first half. And so the understanding of, you know, hey, this is this is going to be a, a good team this year. And I think they may have taken Marshall a little lightly. And, and as we've all seen, anybody who comes to Notre Dame Stadium, they play their best. 
And so I think that's what they wound up getting. And I think they were, they were surprised. The whole, the, the, the coaching staff was surprised and the players as well. And I think they were able to bounce back against Cal. Chris, you, I was there with you, uh, I think it was in May, when, when you hosted the conversation with Marcus at uh, the Rockney Gala in Chicago. Um, you mentioned having gone to know him a little bit, or, or at least you know followed him a little bit um, as a DC before he became head coach. What What's that relationship like? When did you first get to really meet him and, and get to pick his brain and know him? And, and how has your opinion about him evolved, I guess, since he, I guess it would have been January 2020, or 2021, I should say, when he came aboard as DC? So I was very fortunate. We actually had a chance to meet each other through an alum named Tom Mendoza. Yeah, the, the, the same guy who has his name on the buildings or on the, the business building. You, so. you don't need to explain that to me and Pete. He, he, he would get <laughs> mad at us if we had to. I believe he will so. be listening to the Shamrock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but by the way, Mar- Marcus Freeman shout out Tom Mendoza when he appeared on this podcast as well. So you guys. There you go. See, <laughs> and I know for fact tom does listen so because he sent me a whole bunch of quotes and shows you guys and everything else so i just wanted to i just want to kind of mic drop tom mendoza's name but um so he was able to kind of introduce us and really felt really really comfortable with him at first and then um was fortunate enough to host him as the the defensive coordinator for the notre dame club of chicago rockney event um in Chicago and really had a chance to get to know him and his wife as well. And before that he was able to appear on my podcast and I got the sense like after 15 minutes, like, man, if I had any eligibility left, I would love to play for this guy. And the reason why is because one, he's so genuine, but he's also um, someone who's been there and done that. Right. So, you know, what he's talking about, he's been able to, achieve that. So as a defensive coordinator, he, he talked about kind of having a, a, a family unit with with his uh, defensive players, his uh, assistant coaches, and I was excited then. And, and even said on the podcast, you know, um, I'm 53, and if I had, you know, maybe I can give you like a minute or maybe 90 seconds I can get out there, maybe do one play and come back and make sure they have um, the, the defibrillator on the sideline for me. But the idea is that, you know, I was really, really excited for him. You, you fast forward a little bit throughout the season. Um, folks were kind of weren't, weren't really impressed the first couple of games. Last couple of games, they're excited about him. He became, became a voracious recruiter. And then all of a sudden, he gets the spot, right? So for me, it was a situation where I kind of watched him develop and grow. The amazing thing is that he hasn't changed. Um, he, he's still that same guy. I talked about that, that unit strength. And now instead of his defensive staff, it's now for the whole team. Um, so for me, I, I, I love being around him. I uh, love having a chance to talk to him. But a little bit more importantly, f- for the players. I mean, this is a guy who they can role model their lives after, right? And, and I always tell people that they think I'm nuts. If he never wins a game at Notre Dame, I think Notre Dame scored a home run because just being a role model for these student-athletes is great. He brings his family to practice all the time. Uh, and you talk about it, even for me as a, as a kid on the football team, I did not have a father. So Lou Holtz kind of became that father figure for me. And so imagine kids who are in my situation, they have someone like Marcus Freeman to kind of be their role model. You mentioned sort of the been there, done that. That's absolutely true as a player. Um, as a head coach, that's where sort of I think 
you know, we're seeing him grow into that role over the last, you know, I, I sort of like, I don't know if you feel this way, Chris, but I sort of discard the bowl game as like oh, a, a one-off, absolutely. like you different know, and it's staff. Funny cause, cause everybody was like, oh, well, he's going to win this. And then yeah. he's going to go win a national champion. I'm like, whoa, whoa, time out. Time yeah. Everyone was getting too excited, and, and really it wasn't fair, right? But we all know how Notre Dame is, right? Yes. All of a sudden, you do something well, and it's like, okay, well, now, for okay, for, from now on, you're going to do great. And it's like, whoa, timeout, that's way too much pressure. Yeah. Well, I I am interested in, like, the nuts and bolts as you watch this defense with Al Golden, with Marcus sort of overseeing it, and the defensive line in particular, because I felt like first game – I think Ohio State's offensive line won that matchup, which was a surprise to me. Against Marshall, I just didn't think that Notre Dame's defensive line played well at all. And then last week, they really sort of snapped into gear. So when you watch Notre Dame's defense, what do you see? Well, and I say snapped into gear second half, right? Right. Because that first half, I mean, they they weren't playing that well. And so I think that halftime speech, whatever they said during halftime and made those adjustments – kind of improved the, the defense as a whole. Unfortunately, I think that we need to spend about an hour each practice with the the defensive backs explaining to them that they can't be selfish and to bat a damn ball down, right? <laughs> I mean, the idea that everybody tried to catch that ball to the point where the, the Cal receiver was on the ground and he almost caught the damn ball, right? So I would literally, if I was Marcus, I would take the, the defensive backs over to the side, take the jug machine, and start make, making them catch these these Hail Marys. Or excuse me, not catch them, but batting the damn things down. But see, everybody gets greedy. Last couple seconds of the game, you know, and you saw that at uh, App State as well. But I, I digress a little bit. But f- for me, you know, being able to see kind of the growth, let's say, uh, of the team in general, right? Because one of the things we have to realize is that he has not done this before. And, oh, by the way, he's doing it in one of the top programs of the country. And this is not Ohio State. This is not Michigan. This is not, um, uh, I mean, you just name the program, Alabama. I mean, you throw someone who's had no experience in this environment, he needs some support. And I think one of the things we talked about when I was on my podcast, and I spent some time on this, is that he went out and found a good head coach, a guy with experience, and accepted the fact that, hey, you know what? I've never done this before. I would like to grab you, sir, and I want to bring you into the program because you have head coaching experience. And, and I think that that's what's so crazy about the relationship between him and Al Golden is that he, Marcus's ego, he was able to put his ego aside to say, hey, I don't know this. I haven't done this before. I need help. And for someone in that position these days, I think is unheard of. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events 
the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Notre Dame's one of four teams in the country right now that has not commit or gotten a turnover. Um, Auburn, Temple, and Fresno State are the other three. Thank you. I had not thought about that. As, as, as a defensive <laughs> guy, well, that's why that's why they're not knocking it down. They 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 missed out on two different turnovers on that that drive alone. Look, play. Well, see, the App problem State, is App State did not or Troy did knock it down. Troy did everything right. That that was a right, 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 right by, by App State. But, 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 see, but man, here's the thing though. Please don't tell the, the players that because now <laughs> the, they're they're going to go for the pick all the time and they're going to forget about tackling. So you see, this is a problem that you have. With kid with with young people that are playing, right? So you, you talk about being a head coach. There's no, I cannot be a head coach because my future cannot depend on an 18 year old knucklehead. I'm sorry, right? <laughs> Everyone I, I know who happen. didn't get into coach or left coaching has used that exact phrase with me. By the way, like I, mean, I, I know how I was as 18 year old. I was an right? idiot. I don't want right? my job to depend on another 18 year old. <laughs> So think about that, right? So think about it. So now you tell me, hey, you guys haven't had a turnover. You're one of only four teams because they haven't had a turnover. Guess what? Everybody's now, instead of falling on the ball, on the fumble, they're going to try to scoop it up. And, of course, it's going to go through their fingers. The other team's going to recover them. See, this is a stat you do not tell the kids. <laughs> I was going to say, like, sorry, it, sorry. it would be an improvement if they got a fumble. They're, I think they're one of, like, five <laughs> teams that haven't even forced a fumble yet. I mean, the ball hasn't even been on the ground for them to pick it up. Um, well, see, this is so crazy because I don't know if you remember um, uh, Tommy Zolikowski. Oh, of course, yeah. Right, right. Okay, so remember that plan? I forgot who he was playing against, but a receiver caught the ball. Tom was running right behind and actually took the ball out of his hands and wound up scoring, I believe. I think it might have been at Michigan State. Um, okay, all right. Yeah. So he does that play, right? So from the next three or four games, forget tackling. Everybody's trying to grab the ball out of the guy's hands, and they're missing tackles, and it's not working. See, it's, it's just psychology. You have to take care of the fundamentals first, which I talked about. Um, the pre and post game of the Marshall game was that they have to go back. So this is what we, had, what we would do with Lou, right? If you would have a terrible game like that, like literally we would spend the next three or four days going over fundamentals of tackling, of catching, of running, of blocking. And I think that's what, what a lot of guys don't understand is that when you go back to the fundamentals, the turnovers, the fumbles, everything will come. I just God, I like a coach. How do I not want to coach when <laughs> I sound like a damn coach? What yeah. the hell? It's, it go, you revisit your point about having your livelihood depend on eighteen-year-olds. That was <laughs> just, just have right, that right, on a wrist, right, have that right, on a wristband, right. and then just oh yeah, that's why I'm not coaching. Right. Oh yeah, pop as, as I pop my wrist. Yeah, <laughs> I just looked up. Pete said, I don't think they forced fumble. I went on a CFP stats. And I'm like, oh, well, everyone here is one. And I realized they only listed teams that actually have forced Correct. fumble. So uh, oh, you're right. 120 go. teams have forced at least one fumble this year. Notre Dame is one of the 11 that haven't. Mm. Chris, you, you've been an administrator. You've been an athletic director at two different schools. That's a pretty big undertaking, especially at the small school level. It's a pretty big undertaking. Why, what was it about that, that itch that you had to scratch that you went that way and you haven't gone into your coaching, at least as far as I know? throughout your career sure sure and, and it's really interesting so i had a wee bit of coaching experience um while i was an administrator at notre dame um they got this crazy idea to play a notre dame alumni team against the japan <laughs> national football team 
It was called the, the Japan Bowl, and it happened in 2009. And who did they get to be the head coach? Lou Holtz. And so I was the pseudo defensive, well, not pseudo, but I was the defensive line coach for that game. And I spent three weeks, or I spent a month with, with Coach Holtz, kind of with tryouts, meetings, everything else. That sealed it for me. There's no freaking way I'd be a coach, right? <laughs> These were former players. And so our first meeting, I'll never forget this, our first meeting, Lou brought out this book. I swear, it just binder. It was like this thick. And he throws it on a desk. And we're all like, what the hell is this? This is a alumni game in Japan. <laughs> like the average Japan player is like 5'10", excuse me, 5'8", like 180 pounds maybe. I mean, we have D linemen who are like 6'4", right? Um, I, I understand the the economics of your kind of Olympic sports versus your, your the, the sports that actually make money. But being able to find a cohesive um, kind of uh, a bond for, for everyone in the program is important. And I felt that even though I, I, I love football, that there were kind of other sports that needed attention as well. I, I'm interested. You, you mentioned Holtz, um, and this is like kind of a segue, but maybe not, because um, I, I think there's a section. Some fans you hear like, oh, Lou Holtz started, what, two and four uh, in 86. And I realized that was the year before you got there. But you probably could speak a, at least a little bit to like getting a program, sort of the culture, the way the head coach wants it. And like, I am not comparing Jerry Faust to Brian Kelly at all. One of them is super successful and the other sure. one really struggled. But sure. there is something about getting the culture the way the head coach wants it. Like, and you were there for in the second year, but certainly played with all the guys that were there in year one. Are, are, is there anything from that experience that you think applies to what's going on at Notre Dame right now? Absolutely. I think you really hit on the head. It's all about culture. And it was so interesting because as I, as I kept interviewing former players from my podcast, I would interview guys who, you know, were either recruited by Faust or was with coach Holtz that first year and you found out kind of how disjointed that locker room was. And so thinking about the idea that within a couple years, or actually three years, right? I mean, the, the, we had a bunch of players that were recruited by Faust and, and already wins a national championship. Well, you don't do that just by re recruiting a, a great um, a junior or sophomore, excuse me, freshman or sophomore class as, as he did when he won the national championship. It, it was a culture change. And I think that's what happens when you have a, a new new coach come in, regardless of how successful those those teams may have been. There are certain ways that Brad Kelly did things, and there are certain ways that, that Marcus Freeman does things. Although I've not been to a practice, I haven't witnessed them both, but the idea would be to understand what uh, Marcus needs to do in order to get everybody on the same page. And as much as we see on the outside, I'm sure there's guys in the locker room that are like, man, you know, I, I'm not a big Marcus Freeman fan or, you know, hey, I'm not playing. I was playing under Brian. Now I'm not playing under Freeman. You know, what's going on? I think I'm a transfer. So as much as we love it from the outside, you know, you're always going to have folks, regardless of what the organization is, it can be work, it can be sports, who may not be happy there. And so understanding what you need to do in order to bring that person on the same page with everybody else is really the challenge. And I think a, a perfect example 
with you're talking about with 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 uh, Luke Holtz was when Marcus went to go meet him for the first time. The first thing Holtz says is, "My players would not would never have done that with me. They do not love me the way they love you," <laughs> which is hilarious because none of us would have jumped all over and hugged him because we, we probably would have broke him. Yeah. But the the idea that it's a different type of kid nowadays, like I don't think Coach Holtz would be successful now because. You can't run a program the way he did with that iron fist mm-hmm. now. And, and even Marcus talks about it because his big thing is that he wants players to question everything. And what that means is if, if a coach is going to tell you something, obviously you have to listen. But if you have a question about it, your coach should know damn well why you want that person to kind of do that. And I think that's what that's one of the differences with, with this generation. Which is why I couldn't be a coach again because I'm old school. I'd have hit the guy, and I'd have been fired, and and I'd have been the head coach, or I'd have been a head coach for like a day, and then I'd have I'd have got fired. You still wouldn't be the shortest tenure Notre Dame head football coach. Yeah, I think, that's that's very record. true. That, that is very true. That is very true. It's why I was having a conversation with a, a former All American yesterday, and he was kind of just like throwing out theories about Notre Dame struggling and, and whatnot, and he said, you know, going back to your Holtz point, he's like. It's, it's a lot easier to go from being a bad guy to a good guy than it is from being a good guy to a bad guy. Because if your players only see you a certain way, when you when you turn up the heat, they're not, either not going to take you seriously or they're going to think it's an act. Whereas, you know, the opposite, you know, Brian Kelly or whomever, it's like, oh, wait, this guy has a softer side to him. I've been breaking my back for this guy, and it, it, now it's finally paying off. I mean, how have your kind of uh, calibrations or forecasts for the season kind of Change, grown, diminished over over three weeks. Just looking at what what's unfolded so far. Well, I think to your point, man, this is kind of interesting. See, we don't know what the hell goes on in the locker room. Right. We don't know what goes on in practice every day, right? And so the idea is is that we have this pie in the sky feeling of like, oh, Marcus is this great guy. I would love my I would love my daughter to to have a chance to meet a young man like this. This is terrific. I mean, we, he could be a total asshole during practice, right? He could be he could be a jerk during 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 the locker room, but that's good, right? Because what stays in I mean that that stuff just stay in the locker room. And one of the things that he he points out is that he loves his kids as much as he loves his players, right? I mean, obviously not as much, but the idea would be that he he disciplines his kids. And so why can't a coach, or excuse me, why can't a player love their coach? And although he may, he may discipline them as well, right? And so that's the idea that a lot of people may not think about is that behind the scenes, he could be a tyrant. And if he is, that's great because he's getting 100% out of these kids. As far as my forecast and, and has it changed, it is not. Um, although it's not the record I wish he would have had, the idea that he has a chance to kind of learn and the players have a chance to learn, I think one of the biggest things, and of course I've had to face a ton of adversity myself, is that you find the the true character of a person when the chips are down, right? Anybody could be that rah, rah, rah leader when you're 2-0 and or when you're 3-0, but find me those guys who, who are still those great leaders when your team is 0-2 and everybody in the country hates you. Man, I think that's the exciting part about being a, a player is what happens when everybody counts you out? Where do you stand? I mean, what, what are you made of? And I think you're going to see those people rise. And again, 
and as, as coaches as well, and, and, and Marcus in particular, you know, it's great to kind of see all this exciting success and, 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 and we're all patting him on his back. But, you know, what happens if he doesn't win the next two or three games? I mean, how does he change as a coach? Well, more importantly, as an individual, will this be a learning experience for him? And I think that's important. And so for me, I'm, I'm glad, and as crazy as it sounds, I'm glad to see some adversity, at least in the beginning of the season, because now they understand kind of who they are, right? I mean, the fact that they only dropped three or four spots after they lost Ohio State really wasn't fair to the team, right? I mean, you got your ass kicked by a really good team, and you guys didn't fall that far. Well, guess what? Now you go out there, lay an egg. You don't practice as hard that week. You know, you don't practice. You don't play that hard in the game. And now you're not even in the top 25, which apparently has, hasn't happened in the last like 5,000 years or something like that. So <laughs> the idea that now their their backs are against the wall, how do you, um, I mean, how do you overcome that? And that's what I'm excited to see. So as crazy as it sounds, I'm glad we're seeing some adversity in the beginning, because hopefully we'll have a chance to learn as a team what happens when people doubt you or, or when you don't have success. You know, it's, it, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I, you know, one of the things that reminds me of something Marcus and I talked about over the summer is about, you know, you, you can only push kids as far as they trust you. And I think you've sort of seen him push kids, which makes me believe that they trust him. Like when he is in a press conference and he talks about, how Brandon Joseph should have batted down that ball or there, you know, he is able to talk about a player and like, this is a, a mistake we have to get cleaned up from Zeke Carell or Blake Fisher. Like, I, I think we're a little too sensitive about like, Oh, you're throwing a player under the bus. Like, no, that's, that's just accountability. Um, Come on. And I think the other part there is like the, the growing into the job, which is interesting is just sort of how much goodwill I think he built up over the previous nine months. Like, that's getting spent right now. But I think even at one and two, and I think this will probably be true even if they finish like seven and five, I think the majority of the Notre Dame fan base wants to give Marcus Freeman a chance to grow into the job, which implies some understanding that growth is necessary, that he wasn't like out of the box ready to do it. Uh, and I think sometimes we like, we think about the growth, but we don't think about the fact that if growth is necessary, that means you're starting at a, a kind of a, a rudimentary level. Well, and, and, and you guys have talked to a bunch of coaches, right? I mean, talk to them about their first time being a head coach and what, what their record was, right? And, and what they had to learn, right? And, oh, by the way, it happened to be a Notre Dame. I mean, so so there's, there's not very many people in that situation, but find coaches that are – or find guys that have been head coaches before and ask them how their first year went. And what did they have to learn? And I think you'll be amazed at one, what their record was and the things that they talked about, because now you're talking about in this environment. Now we're not as a whole, we're not giving Marcus Freeman kind of the benefit of the doubt, right? We're saying, Oh, well, you know, you have great players. Um, you, you had one game under your belt as a head coach against Oklahoma that you became the head coach in like 11 days. And, and so you should be, you know, you should be beating everybody. Well, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, how were you at the first job you had at the first paper that you were a reporter in? I mean, I guarantee if you read the articles that you did then, 
And no, now you. you'd be like, oh my God, exactly. <laughs> this is embarrassing, right? And so, but because the, that Notre Dame position is such a high, it's such a big time position, everybody's looking at it like Marcus can't like do anything wrong, right? Because he's, he's going to be crucified for, for anything that he does that's not the norm or if he loses two games. <laughs> The parallels aren't aren't exact, but but you know, in that same line of thinking, I'm curious. I mean, your first year at Notre Dame, you go eight and four under Lou Holtz. It's I think his second year at Notre Dame, and he had been a head coach before. But but you know, eight and four, is, it's fine, right? Like it's good. It's not great. It's not bad. Next year, you win the national championship. What kind of lessons and growing pains were necessary in 1987 that led to all that success in 1988? Well, I thought I think what was crucially important again. This is something I found out you know, 20, 30 years later, because I just assumed we had a bunch of badass sophomores that went out there and took spots from all the fifth-year seniors that sucked, and we went out and won that damn national championship. That, that, that's, that's what, that's what they're hoping with these recruiting classes at Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. If they don't understand, it doesn't work that way. But, you know, that's what you get for, for some knucklehead kid who doesn't – who thinks that his shit doesn't stink, right? So, you know, I've thought this for so many years – but then again, I talked about this on the podcast when I start talking to these guys from uh, from the Faust time, and you realize like it was a process. Like you can't have young cocky sophomores without the the old KG uh, veterans that were on that team as well, right? We can't have a, a, a national championship team without a Mark Green or a Ned Bokar or an Andy Heck, right? But those are guys who were from that that last regime. So I think the idea is, and I said this before, kind of that culture, but also understanding that, you know, hey, Rome is going to be built in a day. And if you're able to lay the groundwork first to establish this culture, I mean, you had some kids who really didn't take a lot of crap from people. And then you had to mix that with these guys who had lost to Miami, like, what was it, 56 to zero or 56 to seven or something like that. And so you're talking about a group of kids who actually played with guys that went to Miami, right? You talked to Pat Terrell, Pat Terrell knew half Miami's team. So the idea that we, we looked at them as equals kind of throughout that whole process versus guys who had kind of got the crap beat out of them, it was kind of a different attitude. But I think that, that's what's happening with this team as well. You have kind of the old regime – of people with Brian Kelly, and you yet although Marcus was there, it's just a different type of pra- it's a different type of practice. You know, it, it may be more hustle to the ball. I mean, who knows what goes on behind the scenes? But you're talking about two totally different coaches, and how are you going to have that success instantly? It's just not going to happen. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think that one of the differences from my point of view is like the practices are a lot more physical than they used to be. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I think mm-hmm. when you hear, oh, physical practices, that's great. Well, then you get banged up. You're missing guys. Whatever exactly. Brian Kelly was doing was working as well. Um, I I was interested because I, I get this question all the time. I'm sure you do, too, about like, what do you want to see the rest of the season? And it's always the question is always sort of couched like they don't want to hear like, I want to see A, B, C, D. They want to. They want you to say like what the number is for wins. Exactly. So take take that out of it. What would be a good season from your point of view for Notre Dame in terms of the stuff you see that see what happens at USC at the end of the year that gives you belief that okay things are moving in the right direction. That's whether they're seven and five or they're ten and two. Well, and, and I'm going to put my administrator hat on, my former player hat on. Um, I'm going to I'm going to leave the the psycho defensive lineman out of it. But the the idea would be you want to see this team mature and kind of accept this this new culture, right? Because even when you look at the staff, I mean, there's a whole bunch of new coaches there, right? I think there's like one or two people left over from from Coach Kelly's staff. And so you're talking about new coaches as well. And so that's what I talked about in the beginning of the talk was these coaches are new to this whole Notre Dame thing too. And so although they've been at some big programs, it's a little different at Notre Dame, and good, good and bad, right? And so what I want to see is kind of everybody kind of understand the culture, this new culture coming in, and – players understanding their roles, right? And coaches understanding their, their roles as well, which we see that there needs to be some work because we see balls having to be batted down or offensive linemen who may not be as tough as we thought they were. Uh, I thought what was very, and just as a side note, and I had the opportunity to go into the green room when I was working for NBC but I wanted to stay out because I kind of wanted to see what happens in between the plays. You know, I was looking at Marcus. I wanted to see his facial expressions. I was looking at um, uh, the coaches to kind of see theirs too. And what I saw was like, no one was pissed off. Like no one, like if, if you walk, if they walked into somebody like, it's, Oh, excuse me. I mean, I'm mean, being facetious, but I want to see that guy who comes off on the sideline, like knocking people over, throwing the helmets around, talking shit to everybody. Right. And they made one point, And I think the center, um, wound up doing that or something like that. 
Um, well, was it Patterson? Patterson? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So great. That's one guy, right? We still have like 105 other guys on the team. I mean, give me somebody that gets pissed off or, you, you know, I want a coach to yell at somebody and the kid like snap back. You know I mean? I don't, I want to see some like some aggression from getting your ass beat by a, a bad team. I you mean, want to see Drew Drew Pine yell back into the phone at Tommy Reese? I, was was that not great? <laughs> that, that was. And here's the thing: there were people that, oh my god, that's terrible. And I, I tell you, I was pissed at those guys. I'm like, this is not bad knitting. This is not tennis. <laughs> this is this is football. You need to dominate the dude in front of you. And so I thought that was a perfect thing that we were able to see, and. You know, everybody's kind of talking about, oh, well, you know, what's Tommy Reese doing as an OC? Well, hey, man, I'm behind. Well, when he's talking to these guys like that, I think he's doing a great job. <laughs> I, I thought you said you were putting the psycho D lineman away sorry, from this sorry, answer. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> see, 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 that happened. But the idea would be if you take out the score, I mean, you want to see them mature and grow kind of with Marcus as his first year as a head coach, right? And I'm sure he's going to, when these guys, um, end the season, he's going to have a special kind of feeling for these seniors, you know, because he's going to understand that it was a transition year, right? And that these guys might not have thought of where they would end up the season, wins or losses, um, or even guys who are starters or non-starters, and, and he's going to remember this class. And I think that's what's going to make him special, right, is that he, because he's been there, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he's competing on the highest level and he's doing things that I know Brian wasn't doing. And I know any other administrator um, wouldn't understand this because he played at the highest level. And there are certain sacrifices you have to make when you compete for a national championship. And he's he's been there, done that. And I think that's the reason why these kids, regardless of how they 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 feel about him, respect the hell out of him. You uh in another lifetime, we're represented by a gentleman by the name of Kevin Warren, who's gone on to do pretty big things in the sports world. Um, what's that relationship like? How much has he been hitting you up trying to get your alma mater into the Big Ten? Because we all, <laughs> all, all state fans in week one, they had their uh, a chest painted saying, join big. And uh, oh my God. they were strategically that's... placed there with free tickets by the conference office. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> that is absolutely hilarious. Um, I, I, I wish... I was I, I was in the know as much. Um, you know, Kevin's a great guy. We've had a chance to talk since he's landed the, the awesome job. Um, unfortunately, he's not giving me a lot of the details. Um, but the idea is that you know, just, just just kind of wishing kind of him success and really understanding kind of what he's doing, right? And it's it, it's kind of I guess it's not funny when you hear about what he had to go through his first year, right? I mean, you're hearing about death threats, all this kind of crazy stuff. And that was just when he made the decision to not to play. I mean, but then he was, I think he was able to make it up. The fact that everybody loves him now because he's given his school like $10 billion a year, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, when, when Northwestern and Maryland are getting the same amount uh, how state's getting, everybody's happy. But um, as a football alumnus here, I, I'm interested in sort of your opinion of the Big Ten as a fit for Notre Dame. Is if as has that changed in any way with the leadership of the conference, but also the fact that it's now a national conference? It's not like when you played and the Big Ten was coming after Notre Dame. It was like I've said this all the time. Like the West Coast of the Big Ten was Iowa City, 
the East Coast was State College. Now it's New York and Washington D.C. and L.A. Yeah. Uh, it's a totally different world. Like, does that you know, independence is near and dear to Notre Dame's heart as a, as I'm sure it is to yours. Like, how does that? But does that feel any different to you now? The way the Big Ten has changed. So do you want so the, the crazy D lineman, former player, or the administrator hat? <laughs> like, like tell me what hat you want me to wear here. Um, the idea. And, and, and I'm sure this is what, what, what Jack is thinking about. And again, uh, I haven't had a chance to spend um, any time with Jack telling me what's going on, but you want to stay as independent um, for as long as you can. And the idea is, is that I mean, you enjoy being able to kind of cross the country, right? You, you enjoy being able to play USC, you be able to enjoy, um, you know, playing Oregon, playing, you know, folks on the East Coast. But the idea now, when, when you start looking at, at these teams, because of Notre Dame's presence, and as we know, everybody either hates Notre Dame or they love them, um, the folks that are hating them, they're, they're kind of gaining a little bit more power here, right? And so the idea is that somebody may try to force Notre Dame to kind of join a conference with all teams and they're going to have to make a decision because eventually, as we've seen, the larger schools are getting picked off. Now, we know how, how long is Clemson going to be in the ACC, right? You know they're going to go to the SEC. And when you start talking about that, even look at, at, at the powerhouse that the the ACC will not be when, when Clemson leaves. So if Clemson's gone – now we're 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 looking at Notre Dame as maybe as a full participant, and if that's the case, what advantage is Notre Dame going to have joining the ACC, right? Because because that's really what you want to think about is going into it. What opportunities will Notre Dame have that that the rest of the league won't have? And, and I think that's where we're we're in a unique situation because we can demand that, right? Because Wake Forest can't demand what Notre Dame can demand, as we've seen, right? Hey, let's join all the sports except for Notre Dame, excuse me, except for football. And, oh, by the way, part of the deal is the next best bowl game, we have a chance to go to that too. I mean, these are situations that um, a lot of teams can't have, that they don't have. So that being said, I think that, you know, Jack and the administration, they're going to shoot for that independence for as long as they can. And it won't be until – really like the last hour that they're going to get kind of maybe blocked out of a lot of different opportunities than they're going to realize. Because at the end of the day, you still want to play competitive teams at home, right? I mean, eventually people are going to start saying, hey, we're playing Marshall again, or we're playing Toledo again <laughs> at home. I mean, what about, you know, these big games like Tennessee or, you know, um, um, Oklahoma. I mean, you know, let's get these teams in South Bend. On a very cheery note, just staring at the two helmets over your shoulder there, I got to ask, who do you think is a better season between Notre Dame football and the Bears? <laughs> well, that's a tough one considering we saw what the hell happened last night. I mean, that, that was that, that was just Shock, shotgun on fourth and inch, fourth and goal from the one inch. I mean, what the hell, man? You know, and so it, it, it's kind of you see some of those bonehead moves. Just the same as you saw, like no no defensive backs batting down that ball. <laughs> um, I just hope they they both have a good year. For me, you know, it's it's uh, I really want these these kids to have a great experience 
So on the, on the, on the NFL level, you know, Hey, they're getting paid. They're going to get to pay the same amount. If they win or lose in college, it's a little different. The idea that, you know, you'll have seniors, you, you, you got some fifth year guys, a new coach. I mean, I obviously want to have, I want learning to have great successes here. All right. Well, uh, maybe we can uh, get you out of here on just sort of like if you had a pregame speech to give at North Carolina and you can go more crazy defensive lineman and less athletic administrator <laughs> here, like what would your message to, Notre, to the Notre Dame football team be, whether it be a practice or before the game in, in Chapel Hill? Like what what message would you want to get across? Well, anything I say within like a three minute speech really isn't going to affect them. And if it does, their ass wouldn't work it out, you know, during the off season and everything else. Right. <laughs> so, so that's my thing about, about pregame speech is like, it's good for like the, for like right before you go out. Right. But like, that doesn't even last the opening I, kickoff. Seriously, I mean, but, but, but think about it. Right. Because the idea, the reason why guys are successful is because of sacrifices you make in the off season. So, you know, right now, no one's going to be like this, this this great player if they didn't put in the work. And so, first of all, I would talk about what work they put in. And now it's now I want you to question yourself, right? And so the idea is, did you make those sacrifices for your teammates in the offseason? And, and, and I know Jerome Bettis had a chance to spend some time with them uh, in the offseason, and he talked about that. He talked about when championships are made, they're not made during, during a year, you know, they're not made during those 16 games or, or, or 12 games or whatever it is on Saturday and Sunday. Championships are made in the offseason. And so did you make those sacrifices that for a team? And then I would ask them, you know, who did? You know, raise your hand. Now, hopefully everybody raises their hand. And then I'd say kind of something out of those guys that are you willing to, to make sacrifices today on or, or with the guys that are next to you? And so that's really what, what my pregame speech would be, would be, do you understand the opportunities that you have? And then lastly, it would be, this is an opportunity you're going to remember for the rest of your life. You know, look at me, I'm 53, and my dumb ass is in your locker room trying to get you guys fired up, right? I'm wearing a skirt on national television. Why? Because I love this place, right? I mean, I love me some Notre Dame. It changed my life, and it has the opportunity to, to change yours as well. But did you put in the work? Would you give that speech while wearing a skirt? I got to ask that. Hell yeah. Hey, I'm a college Hall of Famer, three-time All-American. You can go down the list. I've done that. So you can look at me and go, look at that idiot. But damn, you know what? He's the man. I mean, like, technically, not bragging about myself, but I've accomplished some shit. So I can back that up. So hell yeah, I would wear a skirt in front of the team. And you you joined the Shamrock. Everyone who's gone on the show has gotten a Shamrock bump. So we're, we're wishing you the best the rest of the season. Um, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. This is an awesome conversation. We'll look forward to seeing you. Fully clothed in South Bend sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you.